What's up, guys? This is Nate from Rooted in Revelation. I got a few updates I want to share with you guys. Uh, Before this podcast gets started, I just want to let you know how thankful I am for this journey, how grateful I am to be able to do it with a lifelong friend, Dallas, who's an awesome guest um, to just participate, sit in on this. He's learning as much as I'm probably learning, honestly. We're having guys, awesome guests, like the Lord's been so good just having these guys come on and talk about the things that they're interested in, the things that they know about. It's just been a blessing to hear and learn from these these guys. They've all been so kind and so willing to come on the show. So if you guys in any way can promote them, do so, you know, uh, they're incredible guys and we've, we've developed friendships through this already so far. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of updates I just want to let you guys know. I've I, you know I've been figuring out how to do the thumbnail post. So when I do Facebook updates, as you guys are aware of the page, hopefully if not, go like it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look cool, man. I'm trying to do what the other people do, how they have the cool pictures with their guests and the host and the co-host and the cool logo and all that stuff. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm working on it. Uh, so I, you know. Hopefully, if it looks cool, you know, let me know about it. Comment on the Facebook page. You can go directly to my Facebook page, Nate Burns. Find me there, you know, message me, whatever. Just shout out to me if you want to talk, whatever. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, so other stuff. Uh, So there's a future blog coming. Uh, I I believe so. It's in the making. Uh, Nick Wells, who was on the podcast before, and Chris Amico, who was also on the podcast before, are both going to start doing some written material for Rooted in Revelation. This is becoming more of an umbrella ministry slash podcast slash blog, whatever you want to call it. That's another thing. I'm hoping to um, still do this through the podcast with Anchor. But I also want to probably make a YouTube account where you guys can actually get access to the video as well as audio through here. Um, whatever the case, that's you know that way you guys have options. If you want to watch video, you want the audio. That's an option for you to do. Um, another thing, I'm trying to set up a Patreon. So if you guys feel all giddy and happy and excited for us, and you want to, you know, give some money towards uh, Rooted in Revelation, you're more than welcome to do it. I promise. I won't use it for personal means. Whatever money that you guys would generously offer us, it would go into whatever be related with the podcast. So, you know, it would be for the growth of the show, not for personal use. Um, and you're just going to have to take my word for it, I guess. Um, so that's another thing. Uh, yeah, other than that, man, more exciting guests are coming. I don't want to keep rambling too much. We got a podcast here for you to hear out. Um, with Tony Costa talking about early Christian hymns and creeds. So enjoy that. And one last thing, guys. Tell others about us. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Tag us in Facebook. Talk about us with coworkers. Whatever. Get our name out there. Help us out. Um, we really want to be a blessing and an encouragement to others as well. You know, I started off not really caring if anyone listened. Well, I'm actually surprised. There's been over 200 like listeners on the show and I've only been doing this for like maybe two months that's extraordinary I would have been happy if I had like two listeners and now that I've seen some numbers I'm just like this is great you know I hope more people hear it out I I hope more people find this beneficial um, to learn and grow and hear these discussions we're having half the time you know I'm just trying to come up with a question to ask because these guys 
are extremely above me in intellectual rigor and it's awesome just to like listen to them rant and talk about the stuff they love and know a lot about it's super fun super exciting i know it is for you too so yeah as i said man tell others about us tell people get our get the podcast out there you know share our like like the facebook page share our facebook page tag me tag the page whatever get our name out there if you can that's that would be super cool and a big blessing for us um also another thing please pray for us you know pray for me in dallas for our own personal walks with the lord for our for our own um, growth and holiness and the means of grace you know pray that that the lord would help us in our day-to-day walk with him uh that we can keep doing this this podcast that we can keep you know we we desire above all that god would be glorified in our our personal lives and, and we hope that through that you know god would use I mean, he's going to use a podcast regardless, but, you know, we take our own walks with the Lord really serious. You know, we, we want to read, we want to pray every day and we have accountability set up for that within the umbrella rooted in revelation because man, all this stuff would be pointless. You know, this is all vanity. If our hearts weren't even knowing the Lord and we weren't actually clinging to him by faith. I mean, that would be so sad. You know, we don't want to get so caught up in a show, right? This is just a blessing and encouragement. We get to learn. You guys get to learn in this journey. But ultimately, man, this is all about the Lord. This is about us growing in a relationship with Him, growing in our holiness and obedience towards Him and faith. I mean, that's this is what it's about, man. It's about loving God with all our mind, desire, and will. And we want that personally, above all. So pray for us. Pray that the Lord would keep us, preserve us, that the Lord would be faithful to um, make us more like Christ every day. Please pray for that. We need that. Uh, and we're praying for you, the listeners, that you would be encouraged and blessed and that you would be, you know, set aflame to pursue the Lord Jesus with, with all your heart. Uh, so that's my little rant. I think that should close it up. If there's anything else, I'll let you know next week. But I got Tony Costa. It's about to drop right now, as I mentioned. Monday, Labor Day Monday, we got Stephen Boyce. That podcast is dropping. That's on the canon of scripture. Another great discussion. These are both great discussions. So check them out. And, uh, you know, do us a favor too. You know, uh, promote the our, our guests as well. Let others know about their personal, you know, podcasts or YouTube channels. Um, get their name out there as well. We want to be a blessing as many people as we can. And not just our own platform, but other people's platforms that have been on the show so do that and that should be it blessings in christ guys enjoy this uh enjoy the show and keep on coming back i promise you tons more guests are coming i got so much stuff going on i'm gonna have to probably start publishing like two times a week um so that's cool with me though so love you guys Thanks so much for everything. Continue this journey on with us. Keep learning. Keep growing in your love to the Lord. And until next time, as I mentioned, blessings in Christ. This is your host, Nate, of Root in Revelation, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation and mind, desire, and will. And with us again, we have uh, Dallas, as usual. Uh, he's here. If you want to say hey, hey, or 
Hey, hey, how's hey. it going? Okay, cool, cool. And we also have a really exciting guest, Tony Costa. Uh, so I'm going to give you guys a brief little bio about him so you kind of get to know who this guy is. Um, so his name, as I mentioned, is Tony Costa. He's a doctor and professor of Islam. Oh, no, he's not professor of Islam. Uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm just going to read the bio and stop intervening there. Okay. <laughs> sorry, we're all new at this, right? Uh, yeah, figuring it out. Yeah. So... Dr. Tony Costa is a professor of Islam and apologetics at Toronto Baptist Seminary in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He is also an instructor with the University of Toronto in the areas of gospel studies and archaeology of the ancient Near East and the Bible. He serves as an adjunct professor with Providence Theological Institute in Franklin, Tennessee. He earned a BA and an NA, MA in the study of religion from the University of Toronto and a PhD with Rabad University in the Netherlands. His area of expertise is biblical and systematic theology, cults, new age movement, and comparative world religions. Tony is also an ordained minister as a Christian apologist. Dr. Costa gives reasons for the valid belief in Christianity and also advocates the unique claims of Jesus Christ. He is the author of Worship in the Risen Jesus and the Pauline Letters, and a number of scholarly essays and academic journals. His forthcoming book on early creeds and hymns in Christianity will be released in August 2021. So that's a book, guys, you should look out for. So without further ado, how about uh, Tony? You wanna, how you doing, man? Welcome to the yeah, show. I'm doing great. Thanks so much, uh, Nate, and good to see you, Dallas. And I'm so happy to be with you guys uh, on this uh, Thursday night, and I'm uh, trusting it'll be an exciting show. Yeah, I think so. Or let down. It's always fun. It's a fun yeah. time. Right. Yeah. So uh, for uh, the listeners, I want you guys to hear a little bit about. Um, so Tony Costa actually um, pumps out some teaching courses. Uh, he has a new one coming up called Angels and Demons. You want to explain to the listeners a little bit about that to kind of tease, yeah. give them a little teaser? Yeah, sure. Well, just to let you know, I, I do run an online course uh, on several subjects, actually. I've been doing this for almost a year now. And uh, what it is, basically, it's, it's intended to have people take a seminary-level course, but in a way that it becomes digestible to them. I bring it down to their level. You know, Don, Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say, you got to get the hay down from the loft so the cows can get at it. And so the idea is taking this information up here that a lot of students sometimes feel overwhelmed. They think that, you know, they become overwhelmed with these big theological terms and so forth. But in these courses, my objective is to bring it down to a, a level that they can understand. We've, we've done social justice and uh, critical race theory. We, we've done necessity of scripture in the Christian life. We just finished a course on countdown to the last days where we deal with various views of eschatology. And uh, right now we are finishing uh, a course on, it's entitled No Other Gospel. And uh, in this course, we've dealt with Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Islam. Uh, we did the New Age last week. And so we've got two more courses to go. And then on June the 13th, Sunday, June the 13th, uh, I'm starting a new class on angels and demons. And this is an area that is very... Um, let's just say controversial in some sense. There, it's an area that a lot of folks are attracted to. A couple of years ago, if you remember, Dan Brown wrote a book called Angels and Demons, and then it was turned into a movie. 
uh, much like uh, the Da Vinci Code and so forth. There's a lot of misunderstanding uh, in the secular world about angels and demons, uh, particularly the demonic. This is a very dangerous area. C.S. Lewis once said that the two uh, polarities that we must always avoid is number one, an over infatuation with the demonic. And the other polarity is to deny their existence. And what he pointed out was that Satan's greatest trick is to make us believe that he doesn't exist. And the dangers of the demonic realm is that a lot of people think that it's okay to play with the Ouija board. It's okay to delve in seances. They think it's okay to engage in uh, the uh, various uh, practices of divination. And these could lead to catastrophic situations. And I've seen some cases, severe, uh, severe cases like demonic possession. That's the most severe case. And when it comes to angels, uh, a lot of Christians assume that angels are these figures with wings uh, that fly around. And it comes as a shock to many of my students to find out that angels actually don't have wings. In the Bible, uh, they're described as flying, but the angels are described as the winds. They're called spirits or winds or fire, flames of fire. And of course, the wind doesn't need wings to, to fly. The wind simply moves. And so the word spirit uh, in the Bible, in Hebrew, it's ruach. And in Greek, it's pneuma. These words mean breath, wind, spirit. And so uh, angels don't have wings. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that angels are not the only type of heavenly beings. Uh, there are others like the cherubim and the seraphim. Now, these creatures are described as having wings, but they're not angels. They're a completely different order of being. And so the question of, for example, uh, Satan, they, oh, Satan was a fallen angel. Well, mm, that's not exactly what the Bible says. It says he disguises himself as an angel of light, but he's not an angel. He disguises himself. Uh, and so the, the whole issue of Lucifer, a lot of folks say, well, Lucifer was the name of Satan before he fell. But until the fifth century, no Christian knew what, who Lucifer was. In fact, the very word Lucifer, the name Lucifer, entered into the Christian church through Jerome's Vulgate, the Latin translation of the, the Old Testament. And so uh, Jerome translated a Hebrew term in Isaiah 14, 12, which you find in your King James Bible, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, son of the dawn. Um, he, he introduced that into the Latin version of the Bible. And it entered into the uh, into of course Western Europe and the English-speaking world. Um, so there's a lot of misunderstanding, not just about angels, but there's also a misunderstanding about Satan, the person of Satan, the demons. You know, the origin of demons. A lot of people think the demons are fallen angels, but again, the Bible makes a clear distinction between fallen angels that are currently incarcerated, according to Second Peter two four, and these beings called demons. And so where do they come from? What is the origin of the demons? What is their relationship to Satan, for example? So it's an area that, uh, that once again, we need to have a balanced biblical approach. Um, the New Age movement is filled with literature on guardian angels. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, who is still in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, tells, tells me and my wife that, you know, I pray to my guardian, angels, uh, guardian angel every day. Why do you pray to your guardian angel? You know, do you know angels in the Bible refuse worship? In fact, they rebuke you if you try to worship them like they did with John in Revelation 
chapter 19 and chapter uh, 22. She had no idea. Uh, so they're not meant to be worshipped. Some of them like being worshipped, but they're not they're not heavenly beings sent by God. They're the other side, if you will. <clears throat> uh, that's right. So so as you can see, it is a it's a huge area. And so we're offering this course. It's online and it's open to anyone. You don't have to be a credit or audit student. It's not for credit. And uh, we've had students literally, and I mean this literally from every continent on the planet, with the exception of Antarctica, uh, we've had students, we've had over 115 students at one time uh, taking one of our courses. And so we offer this as a way to edify the body of Christ around the world. People who have never had a chance to go to seminary or college can take seminary level courses in these online platforms. Um, we do charge a very modest fee, 99 Canadian dollars, which in US is like 84 US dollars, which is a deal for a seminary course for eight Sundays. Yeah. And they also get handouts and they get PowerPoint presentations sent to them as well. And the, the, the benefit is we, we, we record all of our lectures. And so our students can always go back and uh, they can download the recordings and they could go back and go through it again, review it. So it's been a tremendous blessing and it's been one of my dreams for a number of years to do this. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing that. You know, some people say thank you for your military service. Well, thank you for your ministry and what you're doing. It's really well, encouraging you. and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We're all part of the spiritual military, right? So yeah. we're not like, we're not like the militant wing of the Salvation Army, but we are part of the, of the, uh, the spiritual, the spiritual army of the Lord. Right. A, a quick question regarding your, uh, the courses you said that if you miss one, you can go back and catch up on it. Uh, the pre-recorded ones. And you said, download them. Does that mean you get to keep them once you, Yep. so you get to keep them. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You can download them. Uh, we, we usually put a seven day limit uh, because I usually get students say, can I get that thing we did like two months ago? And I really try to uh, discourage that because that involves going back into your files and trying to find. So we, we, we usually say we got seven days. You guys can download it. Um, and so they basically have an online library, which they can always refer to. Mm, that's great. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I might actually check that out. Um, maybe could I, uh, I think me and Dallas were talking before you came in, Tony, um, about an experience that Dallas had actually down in Mexico, right? Mexico. Yeah, I actually had, I feel like, well, what did I think was two demonic experiences down there while I was there. One, I mean, we went to this little church and the pastor's daughter or something, they said she was demon possessed and she was losing it. You could hear like voices coming out of her, like deep man voices. She's puking up all this stuff. And uh, I was trying to, I didn't know it at first. So I was trying to pray for her. And then all of a sudden they were like, you shouldn't be a part of this, you know, like, we'll pray for her and they took her into this room we're praying stuff but like i would say for <clears throat> maybe two days after that <clears throat> i couldn't go anywhere in the dark or like i i got in an elevator by myself to go up to our hotel room and all the darkness i could it was like all the light was gone from the room it just sucked around me and i was just in there bawling my eyes out and yep. eventually i went and i was like 
talking to my youth pastor, I was like, yo, something is wrong with me. Like you really, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm breaking down all the time. Like I'm terrified to do anything. And uh, he was with another Mexican pastor was there. And he was like, I can see an entity on your shoulder. Like there's something that has attached itself to you yep. from that circumstance. And then, I mean, they prayed for me and it was gone, but yep. just like, uh, whew, that was pretty, that was pretty wild. Well, you know, Dallas, that's not unusual. Uh, I'm, I've heard stories like yours. Uh, what you experienced there was there, there's, there is something called demonic possession and that's when demons enter a person and there could be a number of them as we see in the gospel legion had many demons in them um, so possession usually happens with unbelievers i don't believe that christians can be possessed because they have the mm -hmm. holy spirit the holy spirit does not is not a roommate with the with the, doesn't share his uh, he doesn't have a little them. demon room you right exactly demons yeah exactly but what you what you experience is what's called demonic oppression so it's an attack from the outside and mm -hmm. and Christ uh, was tempted by Satan in that respect on the outside. And so what you experienced was you came into contact with something that was very evil, very dark. You came into the presence of evil itself. And what, this, what these evil entities do is they try to break you down. And so they oppress you. Uh, so Jesus says the thief only comes to do three things. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so the satanic agenda is to destroy the image of God. He hates us. We're God's image. Christ died for his, uh, for image bearers of God. Christ didn't die for angels. Christ didn't die for Satan. He didn't die for the cherubim. And so there's a sense in which Satan hates humans because we are God's image. We're the Imago Dei. Um, so, so what your pastor did or that youth pastor did was the right thing. You, you, you bring this to the Lord. They fear the name of Jesus Christ. You renounce them james says resist the devil and he will flee from you so um so what you experienced was not psycho psychological it wasn't psychosomatic it was real and so the reason why i can say that dallas is because i have met many people who have had exactly that type of experience that you just did just recently one of my students was talking to someone who was involved in in some demonic activity and he was experiencing days of oppression and a dark presence around him in his room and so forth. Um, so uh, just from being around like people yeah. that were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so as a young Christian, this is where, again, Jesus trained his disciples for three years. He mentored them. He discipled them. Remember, they were trying to cast out a demon at one point after the transfiguration account. He came down with Peter, John, James and they're like, we can't do this. And he says, well, this, this type only goes out by prayer. Later, later manuscripts said and fasting. Um, but it's important to realize that this is not an area that uh, young Christians should be involved in. Uh, they should be seasoned in the faith. They should, uh, it's like military training. You don't send some uh, new guy out into the battlefield to go wage war because you're going to get shot down. So you got to be trained. You, you need a, you need the, the the training, the mortal combat training. You got to know how to use your arm, your your artillery, and so forth. And same thing applies with spiritual warfare. As Christians need to be built up, girded up in the truth. Uh, they need to be eating meat, not the milk of God's word. So, uh, so what you experienced was a bona fide uh, exposure to the demonic, definitely. And in Mexico, there is a lot of that. My mother-in-law was from Brazil. That's right. Yeah. It's a lot of black magic. Yeah. And they worship death, right? They they personify <laughs> death as a saint. It's basically the Grim Reaper. Uh, yeah. and they and they call it uh, Santa Muerta, uh Saint Death or Holy Death. 
Yeah, I that was like one of two experiences down there, but that was I think back in 07 yep. when I went down there for just a missionary trip. And uh, yep. after that first experience, when I went to another church, they were like, as soon as we start in praise and worship and stuff, they're like, the devil always cuts the power here, like he always shuts down yep. the power to our building. And it <clears throat> it was no later like five minutes after we started praise and worship that the power went out, and I had. I feel like I'm breaking up in this. It's like crackling, but I had seen this guy in the front row and he was just staring at me as I walked in. And like, there was just nothing in his eyes. Like you could tell it was, he was just looking at you with like this blank disgust. Like it was like, I could just feel hatred coming from. And as soon as it lights went out, that guy just started going wild screaming. We had a laptop screen. We were going around with trying to see people. I was like, man, what am I getting thrown into? I I don't even, I, I mean, at that point, I, I probably was doing my best to be a Christian, but I still didn't fully understand it from where yeah. I came from and how I was raised in the church. Like, yeah. but yeah, it was definitely a wild experience, but thank you for uh, confirming all those things in my brain. So Absolutely. I don't think that was just crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, like Sheldon says, you know, I'm not crazy. My mother had me tested. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not losing your mind. That was a bona fide exposure to the, to the kingdom of darkness. Ooh. Yeah, it is definitely that's, real. That's wild. It yeah. Very real. <laughs> Yeah, me and Dallas actually are, you know, we've been friends since we're kids. And uh, it's just amazing how the Lord, you know, the Lord saved me out of drug addiction and all kinds of idolatry. Um, And then the Lord saved Dallas out of the same stuff. Yeah, awesome, awesome, man. So we're like, hey, we should do this podcast stuff. We're like, let's do this podcast. Even if nobody listens, at least we get to learn from all these awesome guys that just agree (laughs) to come on here and tell us the stuff about God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there could be someone out there who is struggling with this area, and this may be a blessing. So, you know, we, we pray the Lord will use this podcast uh, to make a difference and to reach out to others who may be caught in this area. Mm. Amen. Yeah, yeah I, I guess one more question before we move on, um, if you don't mind, of course. Not but, at all. Uh, a question that, you know, usually comes to my mind, or in probably actually a lot of minds, probably a lot of listeners as well is the idea of like, why does it seem like demonic oppression, possession seems to happen a lot more in third world countries or countries that, you know, specifically aren't the West? Um, yeah. why, why do you, do, what's, what's your theory or maybe even biblical idea? Yeah. Based on that? A lot of these countries, third world countries are countries that were heavily involved in paganism, involved in the world of the occult, Um, before they were Christianized or missionized, before Christianity came to their shores. Take, for example, countries like Haiti or think of Brazil. Even though these countries are primarily Roman Catholic, there's an interesting correlation uh, between a lot of these countries that have high rates of occultic activity and Roman Catholicism. Believe, I mean, this is very strange that, that you see this correlation. Wherever you have evangelicalism spreading, Protestant evangelicalism spreading, you will notice that there's an emphasis on the centrality of scripture, sola scriptura, the primacy and sovereignty of God, and so forth. And the Bible is very clear where there is no vision, the people perish, and blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so what I find is that a lot of these third world countries are still holding to the ancestral roots of their religions, many of them pagan, And so, for example, in the continent of Africa today, there are still many countries like I have a friend of mine who's a pastor's son. He's a pastor now in Tanzania. He started a church there and um, and the 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 tribes people of Tanzania continue 
to worship their ancestral gods. Uh, and, and so voodooism is very ripe in Haiti, Macumba, very ripe in Brazil. In Mexico, you also got black magic. But notice once again, there's that correlation. Mexico is primarily Roman Catholic. Brazil is primarily Roman Catholic. Haiti is, is French, but it's primarily Roman Catholic. Um, but countries where the Reformation went into and affected, you will notice in most of these countries, there's a less degree of activity in occultism. We're not saying it's completely wiped out, but there's a less lesser degree of activity in the occult. Um, so it has a lot to do with the knowledge of God's word, uh, abandoning the gods of you know, our fathers, as Joshua said, uh, to, to leave behind the gods that your fathers worshiped beyond the river. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So that's why I think we have these major problems in these third world countries. Great. That's super helpful. Thank you for that, Tony. Yeah. So that's should wet, wet your appetite guys for uh, maybe diving in a little more with the course that Tony is providing. Um, definitely check that out. I'll, I'll definitely try to get a link and all that for the description. Yeah. Let me just give the email if people are interested in registering. I mean, our, we're already filling up quick, um, but we don't like turning anyone away. Uh, the email is torontoapologetics at gmail.com. So it's all one word, torontoapologetics at gmail.com. And so for those hearers who are in a different time zone, uh, we've had students as far away as, um, as India, students in South Asia, even the United Kingdom, they're five hours ahead of our Eastern Standard Time. Uh, as I said, don't let that, don't let that dissuade you from, from joining in because as I said, you can always follow the recordings and you, you're always welcome to send in questions. And uh, we also get a lot of, we also get a lot of guest speakers. So for example, uh, we've had an ex Jehovah's Witness come and give their testimony. We had someone who used to be in the new age movement uh, give their testimony. Someone who was involved in the occult. We're gonna have a former atheist coming on our program as well. So we try to bring in people, real life people who whom the Lord has redeemed out of these respective uh, uh, worldviews. That's a really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you more uh, on in the future too, to maybe yeah. talk about, I, I mean, the new age movement, uh, you know, these different world religions, all that stuff. I yeah. think that'd be, that'd be great in the future. Yeah. I'd be happy to, but yeah, we'll try to stick to the present. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so we're going to talk about, um, you know, hymns and creeds and early Christianity. Um, I guess we'll make that transition now, if you're okay with that. Sure. Yes. Uh, so I guess where, where would we start? I mean, what, what's this about? What's, uh, how would yeah, you introduce so, this? So this book that I wrote, uh, it, it will be released in August of this year. Um, it, I think it'll be in pre-order in about a month or so, but what I do in this book is I divide it into two sections. There's one section deals with the, the creeds and the second section deals with hymns. So what a lot of Christians are not aware of is the fact that when, when I say the word creed, we always think of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, right? We're very familiar with these creeds or the Athanasian Creed. But a lot of Christians uh, are surprised to find, not all, but a lot of them are surprised to find that the creeds, that creeds develop already in the Bible. There are creeds within the Bible. And the people of God have always been a creedal people. So what does the word creed mean? It comes from Latin, means credo, means I believe. If you notice, all, all our creeds begin with that 
phrase, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth and so forth. Um, and so in the Bible, beginning with the Old Testament, you'll notice that the people of Israel were a people who confessed their faith in various creeds. So, so for example, Deuteronomy 6.4, right? It's known as the Shema. So every faithful Jew three times a day will get up and say, Shema Israel Adonai Lohino Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart and mind. So the great commandment of the law, Jesus said, was the Shema and our love to God in, in everything. And so Jesus would have recited this, obviously being a Jew. Uh, Jesus would have recited this at least three times a day, morning, prayer, afternoon, and evening. It was the last words that, that they were taught to, to say before they died. So the first things you teach your children, you shall teach them. When you're standing, when you're sitting, when you're lying, you shall think about these commandments, keep them as the frontlets of your eyes, and so forth. So you find already creeds formulating in the Old Testament. Um, you have the, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, when 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 Israel was supposed to come and give one of their one of their uh, first fruits to God, they were to say this creed: My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt, and he became numerous, and then. And then the Lord saved us with a mighty hand. And so there's this creed where they go back to Jacob, their father, and how Jacob was a nomadic Aramean. And he went into Egypt and became a mighty nation there. And then they were enslaved and then God redeemed them. And so creeds are historical. They latch us to history. It shows us that history is important to God, that God works in history. History is God's, it's God's, if you will, his, his theatrical, it's the theater of, of God's purposes. And so history is the unfolding of God's decrees, the unfolding of his purposes, his plans. And as we go through the Old Testament, you'll notice that the New Testament church, um, being originally Jewish, also picked up from these creeds. And if you notice in the New Testament, there's an interesting shift the Old Testament is primarily theocentric, right? God, Yahweh. The New Testament all of a sudden gives this, this incredible shift where the creeds become Christocentric. They're centered on Christ. And so the earliest creed that we know of in the Bible is what we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. It's embedded in the text. And so people would say, well, wait a minute, how do we know this is a creed? Well, scholars have been able to detect certain indicators in, in the language. So when we look at the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, you will notice there's certain indicators uh, like the, the word, the Greek word hati, which means it's like, a, uh, it's like a quotation mark in the original language. So Paul says, I delivered unto you what I received. And this is a first importance that, and there's that word hoti, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter and so forth. And scholars have been able to look at that and say, okay, this is not typical Pauline language, because Paul doesn't talk about the resurrection on the third day. That's a, new, that's a gospel thing. And so where did Paul receive this? Well, Paul received it when he visited Jerusalem after his calling. He met with, with Peter, and then he met with Peter, John, and James in a second visit. And it was during his first visit to Jerusalem where he spent 14 days with Peter that he received all this information. Like, what was Jesus like? What did he say? What did he teach? And, and 
Think about it. Paul is spending 14 days with Peter in Jerusalem. And C.H. Dodd once said they were not talking about the weather for two weeks. Obviously, Paul was getting information. And so Paul delivers this creed in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. And Paul says, look, I received this. It's not something that Paul himself wrote. It's he received it and he's passing it on. And scholars have been able to date this creed. And the dating of this creed is absolutely mind-blowing. And so, for example, um, James Dunn says that that creed in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4, he says originates within months of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is staggering. There's nothing like this in, in antiquity. Within months, he said, Christians were orally confessing Jesus died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried. He was raised again. And so he says it's within months. Uh, a liberal scholar by the name of Gerd Ludemann, a very sharp critic of the New Testament, says that creed is no more than five years after the Christian movement began. Now, why is this important? It's important because it tells us from the get-go, Christians believe three things about Jesus. He died, and he died as a vicarious atonement for our sins. He was buried, so he really died. He had a burial. And thirdly, he was raised again from the dead on the third day. So what this means is that the earliest Christians believe these things about Jesus, which therefore shows that when Muslims claim Jesus never really died on the cross, but that Allah rescued him and someone that looked like Jesus died in his place, this early creed refutes that notion. It teaches us that the death of Christ and his resurrection were the very heart of the gospel. You take that out, there is no more gospel. And so if you look at the Lord's Supper and you look at baptism, the two ordinances of the church, what are they about? They're about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. In baptism, we've been buried with him and we rise with him. In the Lord's Supper, we take, we take the bread, remember his body, take the cup, remember his blood. We declare the Lord's death until he comes. So notice how everything is centered on Christ. It becomes Christocentric. So the earliest creed is, is what we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. But, the, but one of the shortest creeds that we have in the early Christian movement was simply two words. And it's the word kurios Jesus. It's three words in English, Jesus is Lord. But the early Christians, when they said, kurios Jesus, what they were doing was not only were they affirming that Jesus is Lord, but it was an anti-imperialist statement because one of the titles of Caesar, among others, was kurios, that Caesar was Lord. And so the Roman Empire, the citizens of the Roman Empire would say, Kaiser kurios or kurios Kaiser, which means Caesar is Lord. Christians refused to say that. They said Jesus Christ alone is Lord, but it gets even better because not only is Jesus Lord, but the word kurios is the Greek word used in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and it is the Greek equivalent of the divine name Yahweh. So that when Christians confess Jesus as Lord or as kurios, they were saying, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Jehovah. How do we know that? Well, in Romans 10, 9 to 13, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, kurios Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then what does he say in verse 13? 
for it is written, everyone who calls on the name of the Kudios shall be saved. Well, what's Paul doing? He's quoting Joel 2.32. And he's applying the Kudios of Joel 2.32 to whom? He says, that's Jesus. And so the very short creed, Jesus is Lord, is at the same time an affirmation of his deity, which debunks the whole liberal argument that the early Christians didn't believe Jesus was God in the flesh, that this was an evolutionary Christology, uh, or the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, no, Jesus Christ was the first creation of Jehovah God. He's not God, but he's a God. This puts this whole thing to bed. And so what I do in my book is I look at these various confessions. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word Christ is Messiah. And that is an anti-imperialist claim because Messiah means that he's the king. But only Caesar is the king. Caesar alone is king of the world. And when the Christians said, uh, Basilios Jesus, Jesus is king, Mashiach, Messiah, Christos, the Christ, what they were saying was he is king and Caesar is not. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And so what we find is that these, these early Christians were in love with Jesus Christ. They were absolutely in love with him. They were bananas for Jesus, to quote Keith Green. And so um, what I do is I, I go through these various creeds. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of man. What does that mean? Uh, and then in my second part of the book, I, I dedicate the book to the hymns that we find in the New Testament. And there's a number of them there. That's incredible, man. Wow. I used to listen to Keith Green all the time with my parents. He I was is just awesome. like, oh, Keith Green is awesome. He's awesome. He was the first one I was exposed to as a believer. My wife, when, when she became a believer, she was first exposed to Keith Green. And, uh, you know, just like Abel, that even though he's dead, yet he speaks. Uh, his testimony continues. His songs have inspired a number of my students are falling in love with Keith Green all over again. Now, I don't agree with everything. I mean, Keith Green was heavily influenced by the, the, the whole YMCA movement and, and you know, the very Arminian slant there. But other than that, yeah. he, he was a great man of God. And God really, for a, a guy who died at 28, he did a lot for the Lord. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Keith Green and Rich Mullins, that's pretty much what I rolled as a small child. Yeah. And then Rich Mullins died too, actually. Yeah. And he was a Jewish believer. A lot of people don't know this. Keith Green was actually a Jew. His wife and him were both Jewish believers. Uh, but he was raised in a, ra a weird cult. His, his parents were in Christian science. So uh, it's a very weird mind science cult. But uh, uh, one of his last uh, uh, performances and testimony was up here in Canada, actually, in Toronto at, in a Christian program called 100 Huntley Street. It's available on YouTube. And it was, uh, that was uh, the Easter of 1982. And in July, uh, he took that fateful trip on that plane and with two of his children and a number of others. And yeah, his, uh, he, he died from a plane crash. Plane crash, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, we, we never know how long we have. And that's right. it's a sobering reminder that, uh, that our lives are not our own. They're the Lord's and we need that's to serve right. him in it, all things, you know? That's correct. Um, yeah, I've been going through this phase where I've just been, I, I took such a big, big look at my own personal life. I'm like, you know, what am I doing with my time? How can I not waste time? Yeah. Every, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I mean, as Americans, we just, 
comfort is our God, uh, you know, yep. and, and, and being entertained to death, literally. Yes. Um, yes. So it's like the TV, the video games, all that stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, of course there's always healthy balances, but sometimes you just gotta, you gotta cut things off. Yeah. They you become know? idols. They yeah. become idols in our lives for sure. Yeah. I had a kind of a random question to sure. ask. Um, I was actually thinking about this today. Um, so when, you know, Jesus uh, in the gospel narratives approach, you know, approaches and the demons cry out, oh, you're the son, the, you're, you're the Messiah, the son of God. Um, and I was thinking, would that point to his eternal, you know, like his deity in the sense that he was truly with the father in the beginning, like how would the demons otherwise know? That he was the sent one. Is that does that make sense? What I'm yeah, trying to get no, at? Yeah, no, no. You think that does. could be an argument for his deity and his eternal nature as the God Man? Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, in the Synoptics, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's very clear that he is deity. I mean, you know, Mark Mark breaks out in his gospel with the declaration, you know, one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's a reference to John the Baptist from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And then in Malachi 3, 1, behold, I will send my messenger before your face. And Isaiah says, this one who is to come is going to prepare the way of the Lord. Well, who did John the Baptist prepare the way for? Jesus, <laughs> the Lord. He is the Lord that he came to prepare the way for. But in Isaiah 40, it says, prepare the way of Yahweh. The divine name is used there. Mm. And, and so right from the get-go, Jesus is presented as Yahweh in the flesh. Um, and you, you, you see that when he meets the, the demon possessed and they say, have you come before the time? Well, what is it? What do they mean by have you come before the time? Well, they know he's their judge. They're terrified of him because they know he is the one who's going to judge them and he's going to sentence them into eternal banishment and cast them into the lake of fire. As we read in Matthew 25, 46, depart from me, you cursed ones, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, his messengers. And so I think you're right, uh, Nathan, that there is an implicit reference there to the pre-existence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in, 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 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus talks about having been sent by the Father. There's these what we call the sending passages in the Gospels, where he says, I've been sent by the father i have come into the world he doesn't say i was born into the world he says, i have come into the world not to do my will but the will of him who sent me so i think it's very clear that the demons are not looking at some random human being here they see beyond the veil they know who he is and they're terrified that he is coming to render a premature judgment that is he's going to cast them out into the into the abyss uh, and and so that's when you have that story of they're saying please you know cast us out into the into the hogs into the into the pigs uh you remember that story where yeah i love that how the yeah it's the yeah like, it's the first case of, of yeah it's the first case of deviled ham in the bible right and yeah. so uh <laughs> he casts out these demons into the herd of pigs and they go fly uh running down into the waters and drown so I, I think you're absolutely right, Nathan. There is a an implicit reference to the Lord Jesus Christ's pre-existence with the Father. Right. Yeah. Because I've come in well, not personal contact, but contact. But I'm sure you've heard heard of you know a lot of kind of the Unitarian popularity yep. kind of increasing yep. uh, with like uh, Sean Finnegan and Dale yep. Tuggy, some yep. of these guys, real yep. rationalists, really. And Anthony um, Buzzard, Anthony yep. Buzzard. Yeah. 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 You know, they're God. You know, I always tell my Unitarian opponents. I always tell them that. Your God is so needy 
that he had to make us so that he can have a relationship. Because think about it, just for a minute. A Unitarian God is a God who at one time was lonely. There was no one to talk to. There was no way to love anything because there's nothing else. So Unitarian God has no subject-object relationship. There's not someone that he can love. And so in order to, to be recognized as God, because no one can recognize him because there's nobody else. So in order to be recognized as God, and in order for this God to have a relationship, he has to make angels or he has to make human beings, which means that that God is dependent on his creation to be God. And any God who lacks anything, any God who has a deficiency or needs something, that cannot be the greatest conceivable being, as St. Anselm of Canterbury put it, the great ontological argument. And so the greatest conceivable being cannot have any deficiencies because he's not complete. He's dependent on his creation to be God. But the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he didn't have to make us. He didn't make us because he was lonely. He made us for his pleasure and for his glory. And the triune God has eternally loved himself within the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father loved the Son eternally, his beloved Son from all eternity. So the Father didn't lack anything. The Father didn't lack uh, communication because you can only communicate. Look, there's three of us right now, and we're communicating. But if it was just me by myself with nothing around me, everything is blank, I'm a mute. I'm an eternal mute. And I have to make something in order to communicate. But the triune God has been eternally communicating. That's why Jesus says the word in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was face to face with God. The Logos was God. And through him, all things were made. So the triune God is the only explanation for why human beings are social, social creatures. Where do we get the idea of community from? It's rooted in the triune God. The idea of communication, subject-object, rooted in the triune God. Uh, love between a man and a woman in the triune God. That love relationship can only exist if there's more than one person. So a Unitarian God is not an eternally loving God. He has to create something to love. And so when John says God is love, notice John doesn't say God was love, but he is love. He uses the present indicative verb. He is love right now and forever. He doesn't change. And that is why the Unitarian God cannot be the true God. Allah cannot be the true God. And the God of Anthony Buzzard and Dale Tuggy and the God of the Oneness Pentecostals cannot be the eternal God of Scripture because he is a deficient God, a God who needs, he lacks. And therefore, that being cannot be the true God. Yeah, that's that's such a good case to be made, as you're mentioning, like, the very nature of God is love, God, uh, you know, the communion, the fellowship aspect, right. and he created out of, out of who he was, you know, for like, we were made in his image, you know, right. of course, there's the creator creature distinction, right? There's, of you know, God's infinite, infinite, we're finite, there's the right. different um, analogous things going on, but like, of course, yeah, there's still, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. You know, I think yeah, of Van, yeah. We're the image of God, right? But notice mm -hmm. it says when God makes humans, he says, let us make man in our image. But then he says, after our likeness. So we're like God. We're not the same as God. We're his image bearers. But just in case we thought, ah, that means we're like God. No, you're God. No, you're, you have a likeness to God. 
Mm. And so you're like God in that you're communicative, you, you're a social creature, you think God's thoughts after him, you're creative, human beings are able to create things that can take us to the moon, that can take us from one part of the world to another part in a matter of hours. Um, that is the ingenuity of God's image bearers. They're creative, uh, but, but we're not, a, I mean, our creator creates by his spoken word, ex nihilo. Whereas we create from pre-existing matter, what is here and we simply create things. Mm. So, um, so that image of God is so crucial to the dignity of the human being, the dignity of life, the sanctity of life. Why is abortion wrong? Because little babies are image bearers of God. Why is it wrong to kill a human being in cold blood? Because human beings, irrespective of their color, are made in the image of God. And so our human rights do not come from the Constitution. The Constitution understands and realizes that it is our creator that's endowed us with his inalienable rights. But those rights are rooted in God himself. And government recognizes that. They apprehend that. So without God's image, uh, we would be nothing better than a pack of barnyard pigs. No different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's fan to also mention, you know, the, the one and the many, you know, right. the philosophical things they, you know, back in the day struggle with yep. trying to, trying to mend and, you know, how do you make sense of, you know, particulars and objects? And right. it goes back to Plato and Aristotle. They, yeah. they fought it out. Right. And the rationalists and the empiricists, but the Trinity is the only doctrine that solves the problem of the one and the many, because God is one in his being, but he's many in his person, three persons within the one God. Mm. And, and as Augustine once said, when he convert, when Augustine became a Christian, Augustine used to be a, a Neoplatonist. And he said, I heard a lot about the logos, about the word, but one thing he said, Greek philosophy has never said is the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. The Logos was this remote intermediary between us and, and the one, the good. But that Logos could never enter our time-space continuum. But mm. Jesus Christ did that. And, 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 and Augustine said, he is the true word who became flesh. Mm. That's great. That's really good. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Man, you're killing it. Yeah. Yeah, to God's glory. Yeah. Well, let me just say something about the hymns, right? The second. Yeah, part. let's get into that. Let me just say something about the hymns. Now, we wish we wish we had the notations to those hymns, right? You know, mm -hmm. we don't have the treble clef and the bass clef, and we don't have the, you know, the scores of the musical pieces. We wish we did, but we know that there are a number of hymns within the Bible in the New Testament, and as you know, the people of God have always been a singing community. It's one of the ways we express worship is by singing, communal singing. And so in the Old Testament, you got the song of Miriam as they cross the Red Sea. Miriam breaks out into song. You know, the Lord is king forever. He shall reign forever. The song of Deborah, when she takes down Barak and uh, Barak and Deborah take down the enemy kings and so forth. Um, and the Psalms are, are, are virtually the hymn book of God's people, the book of Psalms. But when you get to the New Testament, there's these beautiful hymns in there. And one of the most famous is Philippians 2, 6 to 11. And it's called the Carmen Christi, which is Latin for the hymn of Christ or the song of Christ. And in that hymn, scholars have detected, again, there's, 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 there's these little grammatical indicators that we always look for. And one of the big giveaways that you're dealing with a hymn is the use of what we call the relative pronoun. It's the word who, W-H-O, right? 
And so Philippians 2.6 says, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a slave, a servant, and so forth. And then God highly exalted him and gave him the name above all names. Well, when we look at this hymn, uh, you'll notice that it, it begins with the pre-existent Christ, the son of God who's pre-existent. And it talks about how he was equal with God. And then it says how he emptied himself. Notice it wasn't the father that emptied him. The son volitionally chose to empty himself. His sovereign will was to empty himself, to take on the form of a servant, to become a human being. So now we've got the incarnation, the condescension of Christ. And it says that he became obedient. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, the death of the cross. So now you've gone from all the way up there and you've gone to the bottom of the barrel. You can't get any lower than crucifixion. And then because of Christ's ultimate obedience to the Father, what does it say? So now you've got that downward motion. Now you're going to notice it's like a V-shape. Christ is up here. He comes down. And now the Father is going to highly exalt him. The Greek says he hyper-exalted him. And then it says that the Father gave him the name that is above all names. And a lot of people assume that's the name Jesus. And it's not. And many of our hymns are a little misleading. You know, our hymns say, you know, Jesus, name above all names. No, Jesus is not the name above all names because Yeshua was a very common Jewish name. I mean, look at baseball. How many Jesus do you find in baseball? I mean, it's a very common Latino name, right? Jesus. Yeah. And so the name above all names is not Jesus. The name above all names is the name of God himself. It's Yahweh. And the father confers that name above all names. The name of God is given to his son at his exaltation as well. And then what does Paul say? So that every knee will bow of what is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh. There's the name to the glory of God, the father. Now, when you step back, you go, wait a minute. I've read this before. If you go to Isaiah 45, 23, you know what Yahweh says? Yahweh says, a word has gone forth out of my mouth in righteousness. To me, every knee shall bow, and to me, every tongue shall confess. Paul says, that's Jesus. So think about it. The whole cosmos, heaven, earth, and under the earth, the whole cosmos is going to surrender in submission in a cosmic worship of this one who took on flesh, died the most ignominious death, the most wretched death of a criminal. He hung on a cross. And because of his emptying, his obedience, the Father has exalted him to the heights of the heavens and has crowned him with glory and honor. And so what is the end going to look like? Well, the grand finale, the, the climax, the crescendo of that hymn is the cosmic adoration of Christ to the glory of God the Father, so that God will be all in all, mac maximally glorified. So what a, what a beautiful hymn. And you could just imagine those early Christians as they sung that hymn, as they come to his condescension, you could hear that maybe a lowing of the voice. And then it says, and then he hyper-exalted him. And you can just imagine that crescendo among the church congregation as they sing how everyone will confess him to be the Lord. Um, so it's a magnificent hymn. And that's only one of many hymns in the New Testament. Yeah, what is it in uh, uh, the book of Colossians? You know, Paul uh, instructs them to, you know, sing, what is, 
uh, spiritual right, 316. songs. Yeah, three sixteen. Yep. And and in Ephesians five nineteen, the 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 parallel. You'll notice Ephesians Colossians share a lot of common material mm -hmm. because Ephesians is believed to be the church, uh, the the letter from Laodicea. Uh, if, if you look at Ephesians, some of the old manuscripts of Ephesians do not include uh, uh, verse 1-1 one, one where it says to the church in Ephesus. Uh, that reference in Ephesus is missing, which would indicate that, that our letter to the Ephesians was a cyclical letter. It was to be read around the churches because Paul mentions in Colossians, don't forget to read the, church, the letter from the church in Laodicea. And some scholars believe that's Ephesians. But if you mm. look at Ephesians 5-19 and, and, and put it side by side, with Colossians 3.16, Paul says in Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and spiritual songs to God. In Ephesians 5.19, he says, singing psalms and spiritual songs to the Lord. And in Paul, about 98% of the time when he speaks of the Lord, the kurios, he's talking about Jesus. Mm. So Colossians, he says, sing to God. In Ephesians, he says, sing to the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Wow. Wow, yeah. Man, I mean, Dallas, what do you you got anything boiling in the head there? My internet is just so poorly performing that <laughs> my mouth has just been shut more than it wants to be, but I'm just trying not to lag out. No, yeah, you're good. Um yeah. You're able to hear everything okay, right? Yeah, I can yeah, hear, I can hear it all. Okay, so okay. Half the time when I talk, I feel like okay. it's like oh, yeah. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, this is incredible. Yeah, even um I'm just thinking too, you know, the songs like so in the early Christianity, the songs they would have been singing were, you know, the Christ hymns. Do yep. you think they're also singing the Psalms maybe in the Old Testament as yeah, well? Yeah, because Paul does talk about first Corinthians 14, he does talk about you know, one has a psalm, one has a spiritual song, uh, one has a word, a prophecy. And so they would have been familiar with the psalms because the most quoted text from the Old Testament is actually Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That is the most quoted passage from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so they would have been very familiar with the psalms. And there's no doubt that they would have continued the practice in the synagogue, which they would sing the, the Psalms. There's no doubt that they would have also sung them in the early church gatherings. Mm, that's incredible. I have a question too, regarding like Gentiles uh, being in, in, you know, obviously they're, you know, as Ephesians, Paul talks about they're, they're included in the, or well, they're once alienated from the covenants of, of God, but now they're, you know, being brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but sure. Uh, that idea, uh, what was I getting at the, um, so when the Gentiles are entering in to the Christian community, um, do you have any idea what that would have looked like as, you know, obviously that would they, cause I know there's a lot of debate with like the works of the law, possibly and circumcision. So as Gentiles were included, um, becoming Christians, uh, what, what do you think that kind of looked like with the Jews and Gentiles? Do you think the Jews were maybe teaching them the Hebrew Bible and, and things like that to help? I mean, because obviously the New Testament canon was still in the process yeah. of being created and that's or formulated. That's, yes, that's correct. Uh, we should not uh, forget the fact that a lot of our, uh, a lot of these Gentiles, a lot of them would have been probably familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, the Septuagint 
was translated into Greek. It was the Old Testament that was translated into Greek. So a, a number of these Gentiles, Luke tells us in the book of Acts that there was a group of Gentiles who were proselytes. These guys would have been completely converted to Judaism. They would have gone through circumcision and so forth. But then there's another group Luke refers to called the God-fearers. And, uh, and these God-fearers were Gentiles who would, they would, they would listen. They would come to the synagogues, listen to the word of God, but they didn't go all the way. They didn't become proselytes. And, and a lot of these guys joined the Christian movement because, I mean, think about it. You mean I don't have to get cut? I don't have to be surgically cut to be circumcised? No, you don't. You, you just become come and join and you're one in Christ. So, so think about it. I mean, it's, it's really a question of to cut or not to cut. That's the question. Uh, and so when they were told, no, it's by faith alone in Christ, uh, plus nothing, it's grace alone, uh, they came in. But I, I think there were a lot of Gentiles who were slaves. A lot of these folks would have been slaves um, that would have been brought into the Christian community. And I think that what you would have found is that these Jews that Paul was writing to in Ephesians, they would have known Greek because Ephesus was a Greek-speaking uh, uh, country uh, and province of the Roman state. And remember, the Roman Empire, they spoke Greek in the Roman Empire until the year 200 AD. Greek was the language of the Senate in, in Rome. And Latin didn't take over until about 200 AD. That's when Latin replaced uh, Greek. So that means that a lot of these uh, songs would have been in Greek. Uh, a lot of these things the Gentiles would have learned would have been learned in their own language. So it's not like they had to learn Hebrew and, and, and sing the Psalms in Hebrew. Uh, they would have been singing them in their native tongue. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Because it seems like a lot of the main controversies in the early church was regarding what the ceremonial laws and the, uh, the, um, yeah, circumcision and things like that nature of that yeah, nature. They, they just couldn't, they, they couldn't come to the realization that Gentiles can come as they are, you know, to, to quote the old hymn, you know, O Lamb of God, I come just as I am, right? Mm -hmm. Um and so to them, it was inconceivable that a Gentile could, could worship the God of Israel without becoming a Jew first. And so to them, they thought that, well, you know, Yahweh is our God. He's the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so to, to be in covenant with this God, you need to come in through the ritual of circumcision. And, and so this is where, again, Paul saw, realized that in the new covenant, it is not about the circumcision of the flesh, it's the circumcision of the heart, which is indicative of regeneration, that re removal of sin. You know, God tells Israel, circumcise your hearts. Uh, and, and, and Jeremiah calls Israel to have their hearts circumcised before the Lord. And so what you find is that a lot of these Jews had to realize that, hey, um, there's a new dispensation here. There's a new covenant that has come in and God is not judging people based on their ethnicity, but God looks at us as in Christ, in Messiah. And so that's why Paul could say that in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, no male, no female. We're saved the same way. We're saved by God's grace. And so this was a really huge learning curve for uh, even Peter was swaying back. Remember in Galatians, Peter had, Paul had to slap him upside the head and rebuke him. Uh, Peter was kind of uh, kind of moving away, uh, and 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 I think you really need to see it for what it is. This was a huge transition 
And it was hard for these folks to, to accept the fact that Gentiles were being admitted as they were. That is to say, without uh, bringing in the Mosaic law and, and, and ritual and, and circumcision and sacrifice and so forth. Um, so that is why most of this friction is in Paul's letters. We read about it in Paul's letters and in the book of Acts. Right. And it wasn't the Jerusalem council. Was it Acts 15, right? That's right. They had that, that get together to kind of be like, Hey, you know, we need to talk and about Peter, this and, and work Peter this out. Agreed. Yeah. And yeah. Peter said, you know, we're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, but there's a dangerous move today. There are some cults like the Hebrew roots movement. Uh, there's some movements today that are trying to bring back the Galatian heresy and telling Christians that we should be observing the seventh day Sabbath. We should observe the Jewish feast days and we should observe the dietary laws and so forth. So this is the stuff that cults are made of. Uh, and, and so what you see in church history is a lot of these old heresies are simply recycled into uh, cults that are simply echoing the heresies of yesteryear. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I, and um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, I, I think I lost it. Hang on a minute. Um, unless you have anything you want to keep saying, I'll, I, maybe I'll come up with well, it. But. I can bring up another, if you want, I can just mention, uh, I can just mention another, another hymn. Yeah. One of the longest hymns in the new Testament actually is believed to be the prologue of John. So mm. John one, one to 18, believe, uh, believe it or not, that is, that is considered to be a, a hymn. That's a really long hymn. Uh, and, and the reason why is because again, there are these, these grammatical indicators, um, and also John 1, 1 to 18, you'll notice that verse 18 functions like a bookend. So John 1, 1, you've got in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And then in John 1, 18, it says, no one has seen God at any time. And then it says, but the one and only God or God, the one and only who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him to us. And so what John 1, 18 does is it, it basically reaffirms what we read about in the first verse that Jesus Christ is the only true exegete of the Father. And in fact, that's the word that John uses. It's the word exegesis, that the Son has interpreted him, read him out, explained him, made him known, made him, uh, made him clear. So John 1, 1 to 18 is considered a hymn. We have a beautiful little hymn embedded in Ephesians 5, 14, where Paul says, Awake, O sleeper and Christ shall light upon you. He will shed his light on you. And so that almost sounds like one of those, you know, evangelistic Sunday services, Gospel Sunday, where <laughs> he's calling on people, wake up, you dead ones, wake up, and Christ will shine on you. So it's a little hymn there, but you can only imagine that that was probably a hymn that was sung with the lost in mind. Yeah. Well, there we go. We got tent revivals all the way back in the early church with Ephesians. Paul was right a tent maker, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah that, oh, man, we could build a good good case for this. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is incredible stuff. It, it, it's so incredible to think, you know, about just the early Christianity. Like, it was real. Like this, yeah. you know, our Christian faith is not just uh, this, this thing in the distance. It's just a fairy tale. You know, yeah. uh, this is the real deal, you know, yeah, and, and it's presented that way. Right. You know, even yeah. Peter says in second Peter one sixteen, he says, we did not 
We did not, uh, when we spoke about the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, what did he say? He says, we did not uh, uh, teach you these, these, these cunningly devised fables. In fact, the Greek word there is the word myth, muthos, myth. These were not cleverly created myths when we told you about uh, the power and coming of the Lord Jesus. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. We were with him on the mount when we heard that voice saying, this is my beloved son. Transfiguration. So, yeah, transfiguration. Yeah. And so Peter says, you know, we didn't deliver to you these myths. These aren't myths we're talking about. And, and Luke in his prologue, Luke says that I went to the eyewitnesses. I consulted with those who were the ministers of the word. And so Luke is saying, look, I'm not an eyewitness, but I went to them and I researched, I did my homework. I researched this. I went to those who were followers from the beginning. So and then you got John, you know, John says, I saw them pierce his side and blood and water came out of his side. And he says, and he who saw this bears witness that he's telling the truth. In other words, John is basically, he is killing himself trying to tell the reader, I really saw this. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And so there's this over concern for truth and facts. And so the Bible is not a, a, a fabled book, a book of, of fairy tales. It is a book that is interested in truth, and it speaks of him who claimed to be the truth. And so you and I, and you know, Dallas and, and, and you, Nate, uh, truth must matter to us. Because if we claim to be followers of him who claim to be the truth, then truth should be of utmost importance to us, no matter what. And that's why Paul says, speak the truth in love. That's the most loving thing you can do is tell someone the truth. They may hate you. You'll make a lot of enemies, guaranteed. There's a lot of people who hate me, but I will tell them the truth. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's something uh, I think so vastly important, especially in our day and age where, you know, we're coming to a point and I'm sure even more, you know, for you in Toronto, I know it's probably a little more yeah, liberal going your direction yeah. up there than down here right now. It's the house of bondage I mean, up here, man. It's the yeah. house of bondage. Yeah, I'm probably close to it. I'm New York, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. So all the Democrat states uh, are really moving in the same direction. Uh, but yeah, it's getting really bad. And of course, as you probably heard here in Canada, our churches have been shut down. Three pastors uh, out west in Alberta were arrested, put in prison uh, for defying the so-called lockdown orders. Um, so now we have Christians who are being arrested, pastors who are being imprisoned, and, and their churches literally fenced, and their, their, their locks changed. A locksmith comes in, changes their locks. Uh, and this is happening across the country, uh, up in Canada. So persecution is, is very ripe here right now. Uh, and, and my concern is that it, it eventually will make its, it'll trickle away, trickle its way down into the liberal states, into mm. New York, Massachusetts. Yeah, they have definitely been trying. They have definitely oh, yeah. been trying to shut down as much as they can. Even, even, uh, even President Biden has been leaning in that direction as well. Um, so we're living in, in quite some perilous days here. And, and so uh, now more than ever, we need to, again, we need to speak that truth, no matter what, no, no matter the consequences. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's a time where it's, it's, you know, I'm not a dispensationalist, right? But <laughs> it really is a time where we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to really be in prayer, Absolutely. be in God's word, 
it's time that we turn off the TVs and turn off the, the distractions. That's right. That we will be prepared for the, the worst things that could happen, being pulled yeah. away from our families, our yeah. homes, our rights, our books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, it's, it's, and, it's a serious and yet, thing. And yet it's, it's churches that experience persecution that are growing like wildfire. So you look at China, for example, the underground church there is mushrooming. Uh, yeah. In the continent of Africa, in Middle Eastern countries where Islam is killing Christians and, 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 and suppressing their rights, Iran is experiencing an explosion of new believers in Christ. And so persecution is God's way, I think, to trim the church. She removes the tares, separates the goats from the sheep and so forth. And I think what Tertullian said, you know, that Latin father of the church, back in the third century, Tertullian said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you spill their blood, the more they grow. And so mm -hmm. persecution causes the church to become refined. It, 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 it focuses us on Christ. And so I think the, mo the biggest problem with the West is that, like you said, we become complacent. We become comfortable with our televisions that take us into another world, an ulterior world. And what that does is it stagnates the church. And so instead of becoming fishers of men, we become keepers of the aquarium. You know, we mm. keep the fish in there and we feed them and, or we do the holy huddle every Sunday, right? It's just us and, and we don't care about that dying world out there. And so I've always said, we're called to be evangelicals, not evangelifishes, yeah. right? And, and we're called to have spines, to be men of God, uh, to be men of valor. Uh, and, and to, you know, when we sing those hymns, you know, A.W. Tozer once said that Christians are, are, are the world's best liars, especially when they sing. <laughs> we sing songs like stand up, stand up for Jesus, right? Uh, Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory to victory, his armies shall he lead. Do we really mean that? Do we really mean that? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Mm. Onward, Christian soldiers. Marching as unto war. Do we really mean words like all for Jesus? I surrender all to Jesus. Do we really surrender all to Jesus? In other words, it's what, it's what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. We are preaching cheap grace. It is, it is salvation without repentance. Uh, we, you know, our churches today, we speak so much about God's love. We rarely speak of God's wrath against sin, his justice. R.C. Sproul once put it this way. He says, we have defanged God. We've declawed him and defanged the lion. We've reduced God to a pussycat yeah. when, he is, when he is actually the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mm. And so that is the state, not just in the United States, but that is the state of the church across Canada. In the Western world, Germany, the, 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 the motherland of the Protestant Reformation, is one of the most secular countries in Europe today. And think of Geneva, Switzerland, where Calvin, of course, did his great work in, in Geneva, all secular today. Islam is, is, is rolling into Europe. Uh, they're, they're outnumbering uh, the French, the English and the UK are being outnumbered by, by Islam. And so we really need either God send a revival or God's going to hand us over to judgment. It's one of those two. Mm. I pray God be merciful and give us another revival if he so pleases, but if it's his will that, you know, time's up, the, exp the expiration date is coming, then it's his sovereign right to say, no, this is, this is where I close the chapter. Yeah. So I pray that God be merciful to us. 
Amen. Tony, what would be, you know, we'll, we'll probably come to a close here shortly, but I mean, what encouragement would you have uh, for our listeners, uh, me and Dallas, and especially the, you know, the younger generation? I mean, what are, what are maybe some warnings and encouragements that you give us? The, the encouragement is this. Number one, God is on the throne. Don't ever forget the fact, no matter how bad things get, God is on the throne. And if you ever get anxious, do what Luther and Melanchthon did. They read Psalm 46. And it was from reading Psalm 46 that Luther came up with the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So be focused, stay focused. Don't look at, you know, you said, turn the TV off. Great idea. Not saying don't watch TV at all, but, but don't spend so much time watching, you know, CNN and, and all these propaganda channels that are simply putting more and more anxiety into people's lives. Um, you know, we take our eyes off the target. And like Peter, we look at the waters, the darkness, we start sinking. And Hebrews 12, 2 is so important, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So stay focused, stay focused, realize God is on the throne, realize that even now God is working all things, Romans 8, 28, for the good of his people to those called according to his purpose. So even now, God is still working out his plan, right? It's not that the world is gaining, uh, you know, it's not like we're get, they're getting above God or something, but even now through the midst of the darkness, God is still working out his plan. And, and the other thing is you need to remain faithful. You gotta be on your knees, you need to pray, seek the Lord's face, read the word of God and share that good news with people. There's a lot of people today who are hurting, a lot of people today that are scared because they think this pandemic's the end of the world. Uh, people need hope. And the gospel is the only means, the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. And so God is still calling his people from the four winds. He's calling his elect from the four corners of the world. So 1 Corinthians 15, 58 has always been a text I've always shared with my students and my, uh, my parishioners. You have to remember that your work in the Lord is never in vain. Never be discouraged. Be unmovable, be steadfast. Your work in the Lord is never in vain. And that includes you too, Nate and Dallas. Don't ever think that your ministry is minuscule. Don't ever think that your ministry is marginal. The Bible says, whatever we do in the Lord, your labor is never, ever in vain. And so don't lose hope, be strong. Christ is Lord, Christ is King. And I've peaked, I've looked at the last chapter and we win. Yeah. And so don't ever give up hope. God is using you. And, and, you know, like Esther, God has raised you up for such a time as this. Mm. And so be strong in the Lord. God is still working out his plans. He's still redeeming his people and, and shine like never before. Be the salt of the earth. Be the light of the world. Don't hide your light, but put it on a pedestal so mm. everyone can see it. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, that was definitely encouraging. Good yeah. one. Good yeah, one. don't give up, guys. Yeah. Your work is never in vain. Yeah, we uh do you know who Brant Bosserman is by any chance? Uh no. Okay. He's a pastor out in Washington. We had him on our show uh earlier this week, and um he mentioned um oh man, why do I keep forgetting everything? <laughs> but he mentioned uh oh no. It's part of the fall effects. Yeah, the yeah, effects that, of the fall. yeah. <laughs> I think it was, uh, Oh no, this happened like twice, but whatever the case, um, 
Yeah. What you said was great. And it had something to do with what you're saying. It was a connection that we had with some things he was mentioning and, uh, right. but yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is great, man. Uh, I'm so encouraged by this Thank and God. I'm so, glad. you know, we're so glad to have you on and to be able to discuss these things. And our first Canadian brother in Christ. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. I'm part of God's frozen chosen. So, right. Hey, right. we like those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Dallas is, uh, he's the first uh, newer believer that's just kind of hopped on board with election and predestination somehow. It's kind of strange, but I mean, you know, usually people start off in that Armenian God camp. He's just, nope. it's the only yeah. thing I can argue with that, you know, it. Oh, it says God's sovereign. Well, there's no argument. Yeah. Well, Charles Spurgeon said we're all born Armenians anyway. So yeah. uh, we're all born with the belief that we're sovereign and we're autonomous and we have the freedom uh, to choose God until God knocks us over the head. And then we go, oh, OK, sorry, Lord. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So yeah, this was great. Tony, thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you so much for doing this. And of course, we'd love to have you on again to talk sure. about some other things. You know, maybe we'll talk Absolutely. about some Roman Catholic stuff, maybe sure. some uh, Islam and uh, New Age, the New Age movement, all that stuff. I mean, uh, me and Dallas actually have a buddy who's, have you ever heard of that? I mean, there's so many different meditation things out there, but it's, I think it's called, what is it Wim Hof? Wim? Wim Hof. It's Wim, Wim Hof. Hof breathing, but yeah, it's a counterfeit love. I watched yeah. it as soon as I watched. My buddy's like, watch this on. He's like, love is the answer. And yeah. then he goes on, let's yeah. like, but his love isn't coming from the right place. So yeah. I, yeah. I can watch this. Yeah, it sounds very new agey. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's very, yeah. yeah. The whole kind of like the Kundalini meditation. Yeah, Kundalini that's all. Fear, all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all rooted yeah. in Hinduism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I figure if my I read my Bible, it doesn't matter if I do breathing techniques or take cold showers or you know meditate towards the east. Yeah, like, yeah. pretty sure if I just read the Bible, it's gonna yeah. be all right. We know what meditation is in the Bible, right? Joshua mm -hmm. one eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and then you will you know the Lord will give you success. Uh, throughout the Bible, meditation is always centered on Scripture, right? David mm -hmm. says Psalm Psalm one. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he does meditate day and night. And so biblical meditation is not staring at your navel and saying, om, om, om. <laughs> biblical meditation is taking God's word, taking it in. The idea is that of regurgitation, like a cow chewing the cud. You take it in, regurgitate it, think about it, take it in, regurgitate, think about it. So biblical meditation is meditating on God's word. The answer is not in here. This is the problem. The yeah. heart is desperately wicked above all things. So you'll notice all the world's religions will say the answer is in here. The problem is the out light there. Side of you, you know? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. The answer is in here. You got to look within, you know, to the God consciousness. Christianity says, no, 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 no. It's the other way around. The problem is your heart. You're a totally depraved rebel. Mm -hmm. The answer is out there. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so... It's the exact opposite. Christianity is about a heart transplant. God has to take that stony heart, take it out and replace it with a heart of flesh. And that is the work of God. Only God, the great cardiologist, the great heart surgeon, only God can do that. Mm. 
Yeah, there's definitely been, you know, new age. It's like a revival of pantheism and a revival of just God within God in the universe. And um, it's a dangerous thing. It's a very subjective thing for sure. It's it's very intuitive. It's very, you know, and very alive in the word faith movement, too. So, yeah, yeah. Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, all those guys are teaching remnants of that as well. Mm, Yeah. And I mean, even strongly too, like the uh, was it new apostolic reformation, you know, that whole movement actually me and Dallas grew up in that kind of a church. And then when I first became a Christian later in life, I was really into all the, the bill Johnson, Todd white, all that stuff, making legs grow twice. I love that guy. I thought he was awesome. Yeah. Especially when he kicked someone in the stomach with cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And he's Canadian to my shame. He's Canadian. Oh no. Canadian. Uh, Well, Lord can still save him. Yeah. 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 He was, I think, I guess it was, yeah, it was God's way. God's Canadian wrath, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Tony. Um, Hey, my pleasure. And until next time, this is rooted in revelation. Uh, we love you guys. All the listeners keep coming back and we're definitely going to get Tony to come back and talk about some more stuff. But in the meantime, stay blessed, stay strong in the Lord and grow a spine.